Today we'll be talking about Kumail Nanjiani and actors bulking up for roles. And we'll be talking about HGH steroids and their use in Hollywood. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today, we'll be discussing actor and comedian Kumail Nanjiani and how he recently got shredded for his role in Marvel's feature film, The Eternals. And we'll talk about HGH and anabolic steroids and how they are allegedly used in Hollywood. And also, right out of the gate, those two are unrelated subjects. We do not believe that Kumail was using steroids, or we, you know, that's not what this is about, or HGH or anything like that. We just think it does lead into that discussion because plenty of actors do. We'll get into it when we talk about Kumail, but this probably this unrealistic expectation that Hollywood stars have to be in shape constantly and then how that affects the average viewer. And we look at these people who are like pushing 50 and they're shredded with veins and 0.1% body fat. We're like, well, how come I'm not like that? Yeah, yeah, I say that. (laughs) We all say that. Before we get into that, Ali, what's going on? You know, life. I went to see a Toronto Maple Leafs hockey game recently, and that's a big deal because I have no care for that team whatsoever. I live in Toronto, and my children were born in Toronto. Yeah, you hate them? Hate's too strong. Hate's too strong. Hate's reserved for the Boston Bruins. But yeah, I went to a Leafs game, and it was interesting to be back in the thick of things, you know, with people everywhere. I'm not sure... I don't, I, mentally, I'm not there. I'm not equipped for that. But the, the point was my six-year-old, who is a very big Leafs fan, soaking up all the Leafs propaganda for the last three years of his life, had the best day of his life. And that's why you go sometimes. If you live in Toronto, you can't help but be indoctrinated into that culture. I remember I always tell the story, like, I'm from Ottawa and I lived in Toronto when I did my residency. And so I'd, I'd see people and they're like, and Ottawa and Toronto would play and then Ottawa would lose. And then people, like, all they know I'm from Ottawa. I don't like hockey. I don't watch hockey. But my coworkers would be like, hey, in your face, you guys suck. I'm like, I don't, I don't care. I have no ties to this. Anyway, but so it's interesting. So who did Toronto play? The Boston Bruins. Oh, so they played the Boston Bruins. So that's a tough, that's like a Sophie's <laughs> choice of bad things, right? <laughs> well, no, Boston's always, you always root against Boston. You grow up in Montreal and, you know, it's a bit of a sad story. It, it really has to do with men growing up without the love of their fathers and then they become Boston Bruin fans. So, I mean, you know, it, there's a sadness to it, obviously. I'm not being very compassionate about this problem that, that goes across the country, but generally majority of Boston Bruins fans Horrible people. I think most people can agree on that. Even some Bruins fans will agree on that. And so you just, you don't like the organization. You don't like, that's just part of you. There's just no way you cheer for them. So Toronto had a tiny leg up on the Bruins. It had been two years since they played. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. It's interesting because it's proximity, right? So a lot of Montreal and Boston are relatively close, North American cities in the grand scheme of things. So sometimes it's that proximity. Yeah, but it's been two years because of COVID, because of the COVID. No, no, I know. Yeah. Yeah. 
the zones, the cohorts, the <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I just meant the historical antagonism between Absolutely those two right. cities. Yeah, and of course Toronto and Montreal also as well. Those two teams dislike each other. I think Toronto and Montreal had a rivalry outside of hockey. And then it became also the hockey. But we didn't play Toronto very often at all, historically, just because of the way the divisions were structured. And it was more like Toronto and Detroit might hate each other. They played each other more. Montreal would play Boston. When I was growing up, Hartford, New York, it was like that division was much more. And Quebec, yeah, it was a whole thing. Because then when Ottawa got their team in the 90s, it's almost like they were like Scrappy Doo or like the younger brother. What about us? We want to get into a fight too. Yeah. Who are we going to? And so they're like, yeah, Toronto's our rival now. It's like, well, you know, I don't know. They were just trying to prove themselves. It's pretty contrived. The Battle of Ontario. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I did not watch a hockey game the other day, but I did watch Dune, the movie oh, Dune. So yes. Denis Villeneuve, a Canadian director, he made Frank Herbert's Dune. Quebecois director, thank you very much. Huh? Let's zero right in as I'm talking about my Montreal pride here. I do like a lot of his movies. I think he's a very talented director. I would recommend 10 out of 10, 100% anybody right now, not to overstate it, watch Les Incendies. Mm-hmm. It's really, truly a phenomenal movie. And it gets you thinking about direction as well. You see directorial choices, even if that's not how you typically watch a movie. You think about that. Incredible choices being made, incredible performances, great story. It's really something to watch. So he is interesting because I think Den- Denis Villeneuve has always been a sci-fi guy, but it's very hard to... Yikes. What was that pronunciation? No, that's what he told me. He told me. He, did, eh? he texted me the other day and said, pronounce my name like this. So he has always been a sci-fi guy, I think, at heart. But it's hard to start off making sci-fi movies when you're starting off as a filmmaker, right? There's these budgets involved. So, you know, his first few movies were not sci-fi related. Then he slowly got into that with, did you see Arrival? Did you ever see that movie, Arrival? I haven't seen, you know, we started it and it was the wrong time to watch it. I like that cast. That cast is amazing. That movie is great. The short story it's based on is excellent, too. And that's a great movie. I think it's actually the pinnacle of his movie making, though I haven't seen Blade Runner sequel. So, But, you know, he's made these sci-fi movies. Then he did the Blade Runner sequel, and then he did Dune. The interesting thing about this guy is, and it's a bit like, you know, David Lynch made Dune in the 1980s. It's like even Denis Villeneuve is a art house kind of director making sci-fi. So all this to say... Dune looks amazing. As you said, directorial choices. I don't think I've seen a better looking movie this year. It looks amazing. The shots are amazing. The acting's great. I mean, he hires the best actors, but it's kind of boring. If you're not into, like, you should hear the title of this. Oh, it's Dune. Same thing I'm watching Foundation, Isaac Asimov's Foundation on Apple TV+. If you hear, oh, a movie about Dune, a miniseries about Foundation, if you're not thinking, that sounds exciting to me, I highly suggest you don't watch these movies. Because Whereas Arrival is a sci-fi movie, and you're probably thinking, oh, sci-fi, it's aliens, trying to figure out the language of the aliens. Uh, that sounds kind of boring. It's not. That movie is amazing. I would have anybody who even is not into sci-fi watch that. Dune, I'm like, and the real problem is they made Dune into, they decided to make two movies, right? And so this is just the first part of it. Second one is 2023. You're going to have to wait a couple years. 
I don't know. Is this all prologue, you know, and then nothing too much happens in it? I don't know. I think you'd have to be a bit of a fan to do. I'm very curious to see what people think of who aren't sci-fi fans, what they think of it. So I saw something online where someone's like, I went to go see it because they're like a young teenager because they like Zendaya. Is that how you say your name? Zendaya? Zendaya? Zendaya, I think. Yeah. Well, I don't, you know, you know me, whatever. It's, it's something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's only in it for like five minutes total. And they were all angry that they sat through like a two and a half hour movie for five minutes of their favorite actress. So anyway, I think if you really if you really like Dune, if you like uh, harder sci-fi, you should watch it. Otherwise, I don't know, maybe wait for it on video and watch it all together, both parts. Okay, good advice. Good advice. I have a friend who's going, he and his sister have read the books and like it's a huge part of their life. They will enjoy it. They will enjoy it no matter what it is, I think, right? And nobody seems to be watching it hoping it compares to the early version of Dune from the 80s. Nobody seems to even be talking about that movie anymore. Yeah, it's tough because I think it's a yeah, it's a type of movie, the original one, which is so weird because it's David Lynch, but it's condensing this huge novel into like you just condense too much basically. Right? So it made little sense. And then there's a mini series you know, a while ago, which was better because it took its time, but the special effects weren't up to snuff. So this movie is trying to, you know, merge those two worlds. So it's one of the big fall movies. So like I said, if if anything I said piques your interest, and I'm not really making that good of a case for it, but if it does, you should see it. But that kind of segues us into the star of one of the other big fall movies, Marvel's The Eternals. We're talking about Kumail. Talking about Kumail. <laughs> exactly. So you and I, obviously, we both like Kumail Nanjiani. Yeah, he's quite funny. I love The Big Sick. That was one of my favorite movies of the past, say, five or ten years. I've been a big fan of his stand-up comedy, but since you used the word pinnacle already, let me use it and say that that's been the pinnacle of his work, I feel. Kumail Nanjiani, I just thought it was such a... Such a great script. I thought the acting was so good. Ray Romano is so good in it, too. I love when that guy does serious roles. And as a Muslim Pakistani, I felt seen. I felt heard. I felt represented. You know, all those things that people say. I felt those things. Yeah, well, I'm married to a white person. So I definitely felt seen and represented. It's funny. So Camille Nanjiani, so we said actor, comedian. He has a podcast he does. He's a huge video game nerd, so into video games. And it's always funny because... Video game developers know that he really likes video games, so he will appear in various video games as a character. So he appeared in this one video game called The Walking Dead, which I played, and he also appeared in a Lord of the Rings kind of spin-off type video game series, and where he plays an orc, and he's like making all these jokes and making fun of you while he's trying to kill you. It's quite good. And in fact, there's a whole thing about him. Have you ever seen any of Conan O'Brien's skits where he plays a video game? (laughs) Yeah. on his show and he sucks so badly i mean they are i mean they're honestly you cry laughing they're so funny no and then he mocks the people who are good at the video games and it's yeah and the video game plot and so kumail plays it and they play he fights against kumail's character who's this orc anyway we'll link to that if you can find it because it's hilarious well i'm actually it makes me like you know i'm not his dad or anything but i'm really proud of him in in one regard when you talk about video games because he had one of my favorite jokes of his was about this video game he's playing. Do you know which joke I'm talking about? No. 
He's talking about some game, and I don't know video games enough to know. You'll be embarrassed later to be like, dude, that's one of the biggest games in the world. I'm sorry, but it's like a Call of Duty type of game, I guess. And he goes, so he's playing this game, and he is in, like, Pakistan, right? And he is in Karachi, the city he grew up in. And he's a soldier, and he's like, it's unbelievable. And it's like, I think I'm recognizing streets where I grew up, and this is amazing. And he goes, this game, you can see the stubble on the face of the shooter. Like, it is incredibly true to life. And he looks up in the street corner at the street corner sign, and it's in Arabic. And he's like, a simple Google search would reveal that Arabic is not the language spoken in Pakistan. He's like, like, you can see every single detail. You can see what is underneath the nails of this soldier, and yet Arabic street signs. And he goes on to, like, rip into this game, and it's to go from that to being like a guy who's in video games and people knowing that he plays them and his opinion about them matters. I think it's such a huge evolution. It's amazing. So we like him for all those reasons. And then, well, you forwarded me this article, a Vulture article about him. And I guess let's just talk maybe a bit of, about the article because it's basically all about how he got into this incredibly good shape for being in the Eternals. And from when you read some of it, it wasn't that he was asked by Chloe Zhao, uh, Academy Award winner Chloe Zhao, who's the director, to bulk up. He chose to do this yeah. for various reasons. And it talks a bit about you know everything that went on with that, the social media kind of, you know, for a minute there, everybody was talking about his Instagram picture of him with no shirt on and, and super cut and shredded and things like that. So yeah, I just thought it would be interesting to talk about because I think it kind of plays into some of these conceptions we have about what people in Hollywood should look like. Maybe before we get started with that, you want to just tell us a bit about his background? I know you know about his background. Sure. He's a Pakistani guy, grew up in Karachi, went to Karachi Grammar School. I only mention that because I know some people who went to his exact same school and who were like a grade or two above him. So I feel like this interesting connection to this guy. I'm a fan of his comedy. Some of his early jokes are among my favorite jokes ever. I saw him in a larger venue, a thousand seater in Toronto, really enjoyed it. But one thing about this guy also is there's there's some neuroses at work. And I think he'll be the first guy to tell you that. I'll be the first guy to tell you that is very common among comedians. You know, it's just a bit of a shade. Like I have friends who are, are quite neurotic and their mind plays tricks on them in many, in many cases, not just with comedians, but especially with comedians. Your greatest em enemy is yourself. You're up against your own mind half the time. And I felt very bad about this because, you know, he has struggled with some level of body dysmorphia at the very least. He does have these very skewed images or what do you want to say? He has a very skewed perspective of what his own body looks like. And the first time I saw this guy, the first time I saw a video of Kamel Nanjiani, the first thing I noticed was his strong arms like he has never been like a, a schlub he might be a video game nerd, nerd and all that but he did always take care of his body he was we never saw images or videos of him overweight i always saw his arms were you know somewhat cut and as a pakistani a fellow pakistani i noticed that i wonder why i'm not able to get as cut you know there's some injustices these are my own conversations with god i have but i also know that there was a show we were at once in toronto when we went to see kumail he started telling a joke and then he goes, hold on, I'm in Toronto. I should ask, are any of my family members here? And somebody from the back of the room goes, yeah, 
And then everybody laughs. But Kumail goes, hold on. Are you serious? And the guy goes, yeah, it's Kamran or whatever the guy's name was. It's your cousin, Kamran. And it derailed Kamel on stage to the point where he's like, I don't know if I want to tell this joke. Is this joke? And people were like, tell it, tell it. He's like, I'm not sure. And the end, it was just a pretty hilarious story about how he went from the traditional dress of Pakistan, the shalwar kameez, to jeans in an effort to look more modern. But in shalwar kameez, he never wore underwear. So in jeans, he also didn't wear underwear and then almost got his junk caught in the zipper or did get it caught in the zipper and some babysitter had to help him remove it. Yeah, so it's like a hilariously self-deprecating story. But he tried... Without exaggeration, he started and stopped that story about five or six times because he was so embarrassed to tell it in front of a family member. But it's like, dude, you're on a national tour. There are 1,000 to 2,000 seaters worth of people coming to see you in every major city, and you're derailed by your cousin. And I was like, ah, no matter how big you are, you're still your own worst enemy sometimes, you know? And so I've seen that neuroses right there on stage in front of me at a particular show. So this poor guy gets ripped. The picture goes viral, as is the case with so many things on the internet. There is joy and pleasure and pride in looking at this, you know, for Pakistanis, especially for other nerds, maybe for other people who want to get jacked. And quite quickly, as is the case often, all that turns negative. And so he, I think it was a big thing for him to share that picture of himself. I think he even said that. He goes, I would never normally do this, but I worked so damn hard at this. I worked so damn hard that I want to share. This is this is a picture of me. This is what I've been working on. Yeah. And when you read the article, this Vulture article is really good. It's long, but it kind of you need to kind of get this background that you're talking about. I think I do agree there's an underlying sense of insecurity. And we've talked about this before. That's a lot of stand-up comedians. Oh, I think he'll be the first person to tell you that he has that as well, right? He says, I was never I was never confident in my looks. I was confident in one thing, my ability to be a good student. He goes, I, I thought I was so ugly, I was worried that shopkeepers would think I'm ugly. That's not a, how ugly is he? That's like his own thing. He's not joking. He really has a very negative view of himself. And I'm also like, why do you care so much about shopkeepers? That's such a I specific know. thing to worry about. But he said that a couple times, actually. Yeah, well, Pakistan shopkeepers, like these are the people that, you know. <laughs> They're like, they rule the neighborhood, I guess. Yeah, exactly. They rule you, the know, you try and get your chicken from them and, you know. <laughs> I don't know. It's It's tough. <laughs> Why is that my only memory of walking the streets of Pakistan? There's live chickens about to be slaughtered. Anyway, so (laughs) fresh meat. So he decided to do this. He, I guess, drives an hour away from his house every day to go to this one specific gym and works out for like an hour, hour and a half or whatever. And while he was prepping for Eternals, he was doing it every day. And then he kind of, now he says he works about four times a week and like very strict dieting. And we talked about this on other episodes where it is true to get into good shape, you need to do both. I mean, obviously when you're younger, it's easier. We'll talk a bit about why that occurs and some of the hormonal influences on the second part of the episode, but it's harder. So, but his dieting is pretty strict. I remember like he talks about, you know, having a brownie for the first time at like a premiere of some movie uh, in a year or having a cookie or something like that. And it's tough. There's this fine line between, yeah, I'm going to eat, try and eat healthy and cut out bad stuff. And then being super strict. He's like, if I have a big meal, like say, you know, it's the rap party for a show and you know he's going to be eating, he'll fast for 24 hours beforehand. And he talks about 
it's in the Vulture article and also in a men's health article where it's like the problem is that bread basket when he's been fasting for 24 hours, right? Because you want to fill up on that bread basket. And what about the rest of the meal, right? So part of that is a bit of a, I'm not sure how healthy that is. Well, let me put it to you this way. And this is, I wanted to, even though, you know, you're supposed to be asking me, I wanted to ask you this. So I went to a show on Broadway, Come From Away, that's playing in Toronto as well. It's fantastic about the true story based on, you know, 9-11. One of the planes, or a few of the planes, sorry, were diverted to Newfoundland, Labrador, and tells the story of these people landing in Labrador, right? So Come From Away is a great, if you don't know what it is, great show. We went to some specific thing. I think it was being either relaunched in Toronto or it was their one year or something. Either way, there was some kind of a buffet spread for certain people. And because I'm in media as well, I was invited to this. Dude, I mean, what a spread, like cheeses and meats and breads and desserts. It was pretty phenomenal. Come From Away has a large cast, you know, it has a cast of about 20 people. They're almost, a lot of them are on stage often. So you see them. Not one person in the cast ate even a morsel of that. They all came down. It was a meet and greet. They all came down. And my wife and I were watching. We were watching. We were watching. She was watching because she's like, can you learn something from these people, Ali, as a performer, right? She's judging me in a way while we're there. And I'm watching just out of a sense of, you know, curiosity. These are performers. These are high performance performers and they treat their bodies like athletes and vehicles. Now, for sure, some of the people on stage are a little more overweight, but you know, it's like, I think they were doing another show later that night. They had a whole run of shows coming up that week and for the next few months and they all eat a certain way to be performing at their highest. Do you view that with some level of suspicion or disdain or whatever it might be and if you do or if you don't how does that relate to what yeah Camille's doing? yeah i think i do and it all depends on, on how you feel about it and i feel bad for these actors and people in the public eye who have this they need to do it right and we'll link to some other articles when we get to the second part about people who like once they started taking care of their bodies unfortunately the articles we're going to talk about in a second again not relevant to Kamel Nanjiani, were using HGH and steroids. We talk about how they got more jobs as soon as they started using HGH and steroids. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I booked seven more gigs, I guess, after that. So there's a real pressure for that, I think. And But I think you have to think about how it's making you feel, right, inside it. And some people may be like, yeah, that's fine. It's part of my job. I have to do this. Just like, as you said, athlete has to train a certain way and eat a certain way. That You know, if you accept it as part of your job. But if there's this, like, angst in you that you're like, I'm denying myself this or whatever. That's when I get a bit concerned about that. Kumail, it's interesting. So we put this online. And as you said, there was like, oh, he's like a thirst trap or whatever. And then there was this backlash. And he actually said he started seeing a therapist regularly after that, after the thing came out. He just did this because he wanted to do it, essentially. He wanted to try and see if he could do this. He's seen some of these Bollywood stars, especially. He's like, you know, I want to try and get a body like, like them. We'll talk about them in, in a little bit. But he was said he had this body dysmorphia. Uh, a few months ago, we had Dr. Megan Harrison, my wife, on, and she was talking about eating disorders. But body dysmorphia is you, you look in the mirror, you're in good shape like Kumail, but you don't see that. You see a, a gut. You can't see your six-pack of abs. You literally do not see that. 
What is it called, the phenomenon that most men have where they look in the mirror, see a disgusting body and go, I look pretty good. What is that called? Just being a man or is there a term for it? Yeah, yeah I don't know. It's like, it's like the opposite. It's like when I inhale, it's not too bad. <laughs> my female friends, uh, my friend Iman, who you know, who's a comedian, she's always like, God, I wish I had the confidence of a fat man. Like if God could just grant me that for a day, I don't know what I could accomplish. I know those guys walking around with their shirts off. I'm like, yeah, man. Shirts off. It, Sometimes the shirt doesn't fully cover the belly. The belly sticks out from underneath, but the posture is great. The strut is great and confident. I tell you, we all wish we could be like that. So anyway, there's some interesting quotes in this article. Uh, there are some fashion bloggers, Tom and Lorenzo. I mean, I don't really follow fashion blogs or Instagram, but apparently they're well known. And there's hold on the Tom and Lorenzo. Exactly. They said unhealthy body images can't be considered a problem only when a brown man exhibits one. So why is it that no one said anything when Hugh Jackman is super cut to, to be Wolverine or Chris Helmsworth, Chris Evans? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say people said nothing, but they didn't say anything negative. It was wow. And then it didn't go bad. Yeah. Exactly. And so it's the negative aspect of that. And Kumail's wife is Emily V. Gordon. And she says, maybe it's because Kumail, she's saying maybe it's less about race, though those fashion bloggers were basically saying like it's because he's brown. And she says maybe the internet geeks, the the nerds, right, uh, who play his video games were like, he's one of us and now he's super buff. What's he doing? Even though in the video games, you're playing super buff people. Uh, like, I don't know. But Kumail has a very interesting thing about that. He says... People often put a filter on the world and brown Asian men in general are desexualized. Yeah. And I would say non-brown as well. I would say non-brown as well, but but brown definitely. Oh, yeah. So you mean like Asian? I think Asian, East Asian, it's it's a similar thing that they're like uh, nerds or IT or like uh, scientists or whatever the case is, right? And it blows people's minds. Wait a minute. People are looking at them in a, in a sexualized way. Oh, he is a thirst trap. And that doesn't compute, you know, to people. I feel a bit bad for Camille that he's had to think about all these things, right? Uh, as part of his backlash, where Whereas anybody else, oh, look at Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, you know, putting out these Chris Pratt, you know, remember Chris Pratt got in really good shape for Guardians of sure. the Galaxy. Sure. But he was a, you know, his character on Parks and Rec was an overweight schlub. That was, that was what he was hired for. And then he like, get, and everybody's always oh, amazing. He didn't have this same sort of backlash, but I think you have to be a bit careful about that. Like this idea, like, again, where is the line get drawn between trying to be healthy and being obsessive, like liking brownies, which he does, and only having it once a year. These are different issues here, bro. This is, you're talking about his own view of himself and you're talking about other people's view of him. Like, I think we should dig into this idea that this, I think it is, it's rooted in racism. Absolutely. I'm totally with Tom and Lorenzo on this. I think it's sweet of Emily Gordon to also, you know, add the nerd opinion in there. That's great. But I don't think it's a hard sell for anybody to tell me this is a, not a racist thing. Brown people are known as a meek immigrant. And I think this turned for that reason. People, you know, in the back of their head, they're like, oh, are we just going to have a bunch of brown hulks around now? Yeah. And what if we did? How is that such a bad thing? And I am very careful not to throw racist thoughts around if I don't think they're real. You know, I don't want to be in a situation where like, oh, with you, it's always everything's race, everything's racist, everything's racist. But I think in this case, he's right on it. He feels that that might be the case. And Tom and Lorenzo seem to really think it's the case. And 
I would agree with that. I think it's 100% a racial issue. Why is that? Why should any of this be an issue? Why should this poor guy started, uh, you know, trying to do a George Clooney trick where he was like wearing the same clothes every day because he heard that then the pictures become unsellable because you can't differentiate one day from the other. He's always wearing the same baggy clothes and you can't tell what's going on. Yeah, but he did that because he was being followed around by paparazzi, whereas he never was before he got into the shape. He could go out and do whatever. I know. This is the this is the sad story that he shared that picture on Instagram because he was proud of himself for having committed himself to something like this, as he says, with the help of things that are way out of the pay grade of most people or what do you call it? Budget. I don't even that's how bad I am with money. I forgot the word budget way beyond the meager person's budget. But then he says, by becoming this hulk of a human being in Hollywood's eyes, I became an everyday Joe and I started getting or an average Joe. Everyday Joe is my character on this show. Sorry. Average Joe, who's now getting booked for a bunch of things. So it's this weird thing about how Hollywood views men, how Hollywood views celebrity, you know, how, how Hollywood views actors. It's this weird thing about how people view celebrities it's this, you know, confluence of uh, so many different things happening at once. And he's definitely in the center of this. I totally understand. And I think that's a good segue to the next topic, which is this HGH and steroid use. But and I wanted to ask you about HGH and steroid use, but please remember, neither Asif nor I think that Kumail Nanjiani and steroid use or HGH use have anything to do with each other. Yeah. And... Also, in case you think that Ali and I, because we're in such good shape, have used HGH or steroids, we also have to say we've never used those as well. But no, I just want to get back to one thing, though, Ali, about Kumail before we go back to this. And I understand, like, I, this is what I was trying to get at before. I understand these pressures and what happened when he released the thing. He was just proud of himself. But I do, again, listen, I'm being an armchair psychologist for a person I've never met before. But it is kind of concerning to me. Some of the stuff, like I said, the brownie after a year, you know, I'm not sure that's that healthy of a lifestyle. There was a story. Do you remember Ali, the wrestler, the ultimate warrior? Of course. Ultimate warrior was in insane shape. He clearly did steroids and I'm sure he's admitted to that. And Chris Jericho, who's another wrestler, who's now like a podcaster and actor. He told the story about Chris Jericho. About the Ultimate Warrior. Chris Jericho told a story about the Ultimate Warrior, saying how he's and this is the first time we ever saw that when they go to the catering. So at wrestling events, they had catering, just like you talked about uh, at your shows and at this come from away after party. And the Ultimate Warrior would take a handful of cookies, crumble them up into dust, sniff them, and throw them in the garbage. And Chris Jericho was like, "What was that?" And that's how he would eat cookies. And I told my wife that story. I'm like, he's not crazy, Ultimate Warrior. She's like, yeah, that's an eating disorder. That's what people with anorexia do all the time. Oh, Believe wow. me, people with bulimia vomit, but people with anorexia, they'll sniff, they'll, they'll smell this, open a bag of chips, smell it, throw it in the garbage. That's what they do. And again, listen, I'm not saying, we're not saying Kumail Nanjiani has done any illegal substances, and we also am not saying he has an eating disorder. I do not know him. But there's a quote from this article where the reporter asks, basically, Kumail's talking about weight and how he's been very obsessed with how much he weighs every day. And I'm obsessed with it. So then the reporter's like, well, do you know how much you weigh today? He's like, yeah, 163.4 pounds. 
And he says, I know exactly what I weigh every day. And Kumail says this in the article. If I could change something, I would love to not have to think about it. And when I read the article, I was making some notes on it. And you know what I wrote? This is an eating disorder. To be that obsessed with your weight every single day, you know, I can't, you know, if one of my patients was doing that, I would probably refer them to my wife because I'd be concerned about them. And that's fine. And I think there's a lesson to be learned for the average person here, potentially, for, you know, these danger signs that you saw in this article. However, I want to go back to what I said. If this is a man who's preparing for a role, who is prepared, and like I said, that's why I bring up those Broadway performers and stage show performers. If they are doing this for work, for a role, for the sake of their own stamina on stage and all that kind of stuff, uh, or in Camille's case, stamina while he's in this role and for the filming of it and a grueling schedule, is it still a concern? It depends. I don't think any rapid weight loss or rapid weight gain is very good for you. I think as well for him. He basically admits that he did that for the Eternals and he still maintains that diet and exercise because the articles that we're talking about didn't come out like a year ago. They came out now and the movie's been filmed and been post-production for like a year. It was like it was delayed because of COVID. So he's still doing all those things. You know, there's a men's health video, which we'll put up. That interview took place like a couple weeks ago where they go to his fridge. He talks about what's in his fridge. He talks about his workout routine and things like that. So... Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe it's more excusable if you're getting ready for a role. You could say, oh, it's the same thing as dyeing your hair for a role or you growing out your beard for a role. I mean, I don't know. I think it's a bit more than that. But I think the more you're doing it and the more drastic the change, the more concerning it is. I'm getting hot about this, so I think we better transition to the next topic. I know you're getting hot under the collar and in other places that we shan't mention potentially about this, but we need to sort of continue on the same track because I wanted to ask you about steroid use and HGH use in acting and what you know about that. I mean, you're a wrestling fan and that's obviously a huge part of like wrestling in these worlds. But first of all, HGH is something that human growth hormone, I think you should give some background on what that is and what its effects are and how it's used. Yeah, why don't we start with the older thing that people were using a lot, which was anabolic steroids, and then we'll move into HGH. Is that okay? Is that okay oh, with you? Oh, sure. Is that okay with you? Just need to dial off here. I'm getting very no, so listen, I just thought it would make sense because again, you mentioned anabolic steroids, which especially in the eighties and nineties, we had pumping iron, we had Schwarzenegger, we had this kind of bodybuilding craze take off that we had in professional wrestling. There was a steroid trial that Vince McMahon was kind of brought up on charges for. So we've seen this over time. And of course, everybody knows about steroid use in sports, whether the amateur sports, is a huge baseball, one well, we're talking yeah. about Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, amateur sports, Ben Johnson, uh, Barry Bond. So, you know, we, we've seen this kind of over time. So let's take a step back because you and I have talked about steroids in the past, but often we're talking about corticosteroids, which are a different type of steroid because steroid is just the kind of the chemical formulation of it. And corticosteroids also exist in our body, as do these anabolic steroids. But corticosteroids are kind of these anti-inflammatory things. We use that for 
any anti-inflammatory thing, use it for eczema uh, as a cream or something like that, you know, if something as minor as that. But we're talking about anabolic steroids. So these have the same chemical structure in the male hormone testosterone, right? That's what they appear as to the body. And they have muscle building properties. That's what anabolic means. It's muscle building. Something that's catabolic is breaking down your muscle. Anabolic is building it up. But because they're testosterone, they also have these masculinizing effects. So androgenic effects is what they're called. So that's why, you know, we'll talk about some of the side effects. And because of those things, especially anabolic, that's what makes them appealing to athletes and bodybuilders. So a couple stats, a survey in Ontario, which is the province that we live in, students in grade 7 to 12, 1 to 2% said they'd use anabolic steroids at least once. 1 to 2%, 1 out of 100, which is not a lot, but it's actually a huge amount. And in the United States, between 1 million and 3 million people, which is again about 1% of the population, are thought to have used them. And the majority are not athletes. And most people who've used steroids are heterosexual men about the age of 25, and most are non-competitive bodybuilders, non-athletes. So this is why it becomes slowly more relevant for, for Hollywood, right? Because they're using it purely for cosmetic purposes, not for performance enhancement in the sense that we're talking about professional athletes. Professional wrestlers is a bit different. It's probably more for cosmetic reasons as opposed for the performance enhancement. But for the majority of users, it's cosmetic purposes. And then you, Ali, have heard, so there's obviously downsides to anabolic steroids. They're banned by the World Anti-Doping Association for use in uh, competitive and amateur sports, but they're also used, obviously we said cosmetically, but there is a lot of side effects. So Ali, do you know some of these side effects for steroids that you've heard about? Shrinking testiculos, I believe, is something uh, we often... I, I don't know if we call them that, but yeah, that is because you're giving excess testosterone so the testes don't have to, they can kind of take a break from this production so they become smaller. The scary thing is this led to a lot of deaths in, in you were talking about professional wrestlers, so they had a lot of early deaths, especially in the 90s. You can get enlargement of the heart, you can have blood clots, high blood pressure, heart attacks, strokes, and heart failure sometimes, even people as young as 30 or younger. You get this aggression and violence, also known as... Yes, that's... Roid rage? There you go. There, you there go. it is. I there was going to say juice monkey, and I was like, that's not a... <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, these are the various terms that come up when you're belittling people on steroids from a safe distance. Depression, mania, liver failure, liver cancer has been associated with that. And then you can get tendon ruptures, right? I won't mention it, but again, there are some people who get ruptures of, of very unusual tendons, like your quad tendon. And I'm like... I'm not sure you could really rupture your quad tendon unless you're on steroids. I mean, I'm sure it's happened to many people before, but it's such an unusual thing to rupture. So you have this predisposition to rupturing some of these. If you're taking it as an adolescent, your growth may stop, right? So that, that would be concerning. And then some of the more common stuff that we know, acne, or as we call it, those bodybuilders, bacne, right? Like these are the guys who are like covered with, with acne on their back. You get this oilier skin, thinning scalp. Ali? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all coming back to me. I remember, I don't know if I read a pamphlet or what, but I remember all these things. Like for people who are considering using steroids, these are the side effects. And I remember you read the side effects once and you're like, oh, 
well, then nothing is worth this, which is hilarious because I'm fully bald at this point. But in the, the day when I had hair, you're like smaller testicles, prone to bouts of rage, thinning hair and acne. You know, as a young man, you immediately go as a young, vain man, even who's concerned about your health. You go, well, none of that is worth whatever the benefits of steroid use is. Yeah. And of course, women have also taken steroids and they'll all get this masculinization appearance, reduction in breast size, body fat composition, coarsening of their skin hair, hair growth, loss of scalp hair. So they grow hair in other parts of their body, but then they start to have thinning uh, uh, on their head and their menses could stop. And some of these could be permanent, right? So these are the concerns with the use of anabolic steroids. As we said, widespread, but now with drug testing in amateur and professional sports, it's kind of become less prevalent. I think you still do see it, as we said, not as much in sports, but in people trying to look very good. But you haven't mentioned HGH yet. You've only mentioned anabolic steroids. Right, right. Because I think as time's gone on, anabolic steroids, for the reasons we mentioned, the side effects, the testing in competitive sports, amateur sports, that's kind of made a decrease, but it is used by Joe Average. Joe Public is the one using it, right? But HGH is a bit different. So HGH is human growth hormone. We all have growth hormone in our bodies. That's what stimulates our body to grow it has many many effects but that's you know when we're, when we're growing as a child that's how we get bigger and taller and things like that and we still need it and it still is secreted when you're an adult as well it used to be that the only source of human growth hormone back in the day was from human cadavers so people would die and then they would harvest kind of the human growth hormone from them and then you would get it but the problem with that is you could get a bloodborne disease from that some people, because they often get it from the brain, because that's where growth hormone is produced. Some people got what's called Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, which is also known as mad cow disease. That's how Joe Public would know. Oh, Joe Public. Everyday Joe. Joe Public, you heard of that before? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I heard of that, bro. Because you eat the beef and you get sick. Yes, exactly. Yes, Joe. So, But in the 80s, they were able to make recombinant HGH through genetic engineering. So that's what we use now. So now it's a lot more available and easier to give. And we use it mainly in medicine to treat short stature. Uh, so some people have genetic conditions. One is called Turner syndrome. Oh, wow. So actual growth of a human, basically. Oh, wow. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, one is called Turner syndrome, uh, which affects only females. There's another one called Prader-Willi syndrome, where short stature is part of it. And it wouldn't just be used to treat the average kind of shorter person, but we have what are called the percentiles. Like when you take your kids to the pediatrician or their family doctor, they do the growth parameters, right? They weigh your child, measure their head, measure their height and weight, and they'll plot those out. So if you're below a certain percentile, and that's been persistent over time, then sometimes you can be referred to a pediatric endocrinologist, hormonal specialist, and they could prescribe growth hormone. It's really the only reason, or people who are born with a growth hormone deficiency. That's also can happen, or they get a growth hormone deficiency because of some tumor that had to be removed, and then you don't have the cells that produce growth hormone, another hormone. So those would be some reasons to take it, but otherwise it's very uncommonly prescribed, especially in adults. Now, you can get excess growth hormone, and can you name someone? In fact, it's a wrestler who had excess growth hormone deficiency, which is also called acromegaly. Oh, wait, genetically? Andre the Giant. Yeah. 
Yeah, it wasn't genetic, but it was medically. That's what he has. But Andre the Giant had excess growth hormone. So what happens is if you get this excess growth hormone, usually caused by a tumor, growth hormone secreting tumor, if you get that before your bones have fused, because your bones fuse and your final height is determined, usually when you're in your teenage years, early part of your teenage years, right? When your growth stops. But if you have an excess growth hormone being secreted while you're still growing, you will become extremely tall. And that's why Andre the Giant was like seven foot something. So all the people who in the Guinness Book of World Records for having this height over seven feet, for example, a lot of these basketball players, they actually had a problem of excess growth hormone production when they were young, before their bones infused. You can get excessive growth hormone production, again, usually from a tumor, after your bones are fused, and then you just get this acromegaly, but then you get a lot of the features that Andre had. You get a bulbous nose, coarsening of your facial features, like a thickened brow. There's other people as well in history who've had it, but those are, Andre the Giant is probably the most famous person that the average person's kind of heard of. So HGH, does it do the same thing, have the same effect as anabolic steroids? Yeah, it's thought to. I mean, athletes and bodybuilders would claim that HGH increases lean body mass and decreases fat mass. That's kind of the idea. And it's interesting, though. Like I said, I always like to go for the systematic reviews that review all the scientific literature on the subject. So there's two main reviews that were published uh, several years ago. One looks at just in elderly people. What does it do to someone who's elderly? Because a lot of people are saying that HGH can be used as an anti-aging medication. So they said those patients who were treated actually did have decreased fat mass and overall increase in their lean body mass. Their weight didn't change, but it's kind of like your distribution of weight changes. Like your weight changes the same, but you have less fat contributing to your weight and more muscle mass. And they also had decreased cholesterol levels. So that was good. But people who were treated with a growth hormone were also more likely to experience swelling, joint pain, and even carpal tunnel syndrome, so numbness in the hands. And some developed gynecomastia. Do you know what that is? No. That is a breast development in a male. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Familiar <laughs> with that. Yes. Oh, yeah. and, of course, of course. And some had early onset diabetes. So there were some side effects. And then they also looked at it at a different study. You looked at it about the use of HGH for athletic performance. And they found that... Again, they found improvement in lean body mass, but strength and exercise capacity did not seem to improve. And they had similar side effects. So it's interesting. Again, when you take it all together, it sounds in terms of the beneficial effects that people say, it probably doesn't help these high-performance athletes that much, but it certainly will probably make you look better because you decrease fat, increase lean muscle mass. So those are some of the side effects and some of the evidence. And it's crazy. About 5% of male American high school students have said they have used HGH at one point. That's kind of a lot. It's kind of a lot. It was previously undetectable, by the way, just in terms of using it as a doping agent. It was previously unable to be detected, but now they're able to use an assay to detect it. It's still somewhat difficult, but they are able to do it now. So it is tested for now by the World Anti-Doping Agency. So if it doesn't have a marked improvement on performance or even recovery, stuff like that, and you're talking about how it really helps the way you look, that's what makes it an obvious choice for many actors in many different roles, right? This is, if you're not going to be fat best friend, 
the role that I will one day occupy, then uh, yeah, I suppose people probably. You want to be the go-to guy for that role, eh? Go-to fat guy, best friend. Yeah, I gotta get a little fatter though. And there's some very interesting articles. There's a really good one from the Hollywood Reporter a couple of years ago, but then there was one that just came out the other day in Vox. Another one from Vanity Fair. So the Hollywood Reporter article talks about this Hollywood trainer whose name is Happy Hill. Okay, sure, that could be your name. He's gotten Jake Gyllenhaal and Ryan Felipe into shape for various roles without performance-enhancing type drugs. But he estimates 20% of all actors he knows use these. And HGH is, is now being used way more than steroids. And, you know, it's easy to use, and older people are often looking for a gym body, right? And and they want a shortcut because six-pack abs – this is a personal trainer who says this – after age 40, unless you're genetically gifted and one of those people who just has a high metabolism, very difficult to maintain after age 40. Mm. Yeah, they say the, the part of your body that keeps growing, right? Never stop growing. It's nose, ears – Hair, obviously nails, and then your stomach. Your stomach is always <laughs> going to get Yeah, to... sometimes you're wider than you are tall, but <laughs> it's interesting. So even these experts in HGH and steroids, this one guy, Olivier Rabin, who is the executive director of science and international partnerships at the World Anti-Doping Agency, which we talked about before. He says, this is the quote from him. I've been amazed when I watch movies that famous actors are very muscular in. They've got more muscle mass than some athletes who've been training for years. And Rabin just says, interesting. And he said, okay, fair enough. They say they train two or three hours a day. But his point is he sees athletes who probably train more than three hours a day. Yeah. And again, I mean, we've all seen athletes. Some of them are in amazing shape. But do they look the way that these Hollywood people do? Not really. It's a bit of a different appearance. A quote from a Vanity Fair article is, any actor over age 50 you're seeing with a ripped stomach and veins in his forearms is probably taking HGH. Uh-oh, better hide my ripped forearms. That's easy to do since I don't have any. But I did want to ask this, then is this something actors will admit to? Is this something that, or is this like you get busted with HGH? Yeah, so it's funny. All these quotes, they do sometimes find people who are taking it in a lot of these articles, the people who prefer to remain nameless. One of the people is an aspiring actor who we talked about who decided to start using some of these and booked seven roles after he started doing it and nothing beforehand. Who we talked about was who? Do What's the name? No, no that's an unknown actor. I said they we remained anonymous for it because oh, yeah, they wanted to obviously not publicize who they were. And there's lots of people. They quote different people, socialites, movie producers who all say they do it. And it's funny, like people will be at the country club with, you know, again, agents and producers. And they're like, oh, hey, do you want some HGH and stuff like that? And there's and then it's, it's very interesting. There are doctors who people know they go to a lot of these anti-aging doctors in California who you go to specifically to get an HGH prescription. And if you look at some of the studies, they're like, there's a certain amount of HGH produced in America. And then if you look at prescription for HGH, there's not that many prescriptions for it. But yet, all the HGH that's produced ends up being used somehow. Do you know what I'm saying? So there's a lot of missing HGH. And they think it disappears between the manufacturer and receiving it at a pharmacy. And people are just like pocketing it, the guys who deliver it, and then sending it on to someone. Falling off the back of a truck. 
in Hollywood. Huh? It's really interesting. Again, how are you writing a prescription for it? These are children with growth hormone deficiency or who have a rare genetic disorder or super short children, right? Like, how, how are you doing that? But anyway, answer to your question, very few people have admitted to it. Nick Nolte and Oliver Stone, I guess, have, have admitted to it. You know, you've always wanted a body like Nick Nolte, right? I assume they admitted to it years later, like, oh, I did that back when I needed to. But in 2007, your good buddy, Sylvester Stallone, nah, was busted for bringing in 48 vials of HGH into Australia. Well, it's interesting you mentioned Sly because you said that, you know, any act over 50 with a ripped stomach and his forearms probably – that's the first person I thought of. Like, because he was, you know, by the time you're looking at Rocky Four, Rocky Five, you're like, dude, this is – what is this? This is insane. Some other people, Tyler Perry and 50 Cent, were busted in connection with steroids. So again, it's how they want to look. So a couple more things just to finish off. One is there's some very interesting articles as well about these Instagram fitness influencers, right? Who are like, you got to do this workout, you got to do this. Start taking the CBD supplement because you can get into good shape doing this. But these Instagram users, it's reported that a lot of them are on either HGH or steroids. And what they do is that's how they're getting themselves to look that good. And then they're also trying to market supplements and things like that, which aren't really what gets them into good shape. It's using this other stuff. But they're not, they're not trying to sell HGH because they can't. So it's these other things. You've alluded to it. I've alluded to it. But we haven't gone into it. Uh, Bollywood, what's the prevalence there? I mean, you have a lot of actors in very, very good shape. It almost seems to be just the baseline. It's almost as important as the acting, if not more important, that they be in good shape. So that's very interesting. It goes back to Kamel Nanjiani and how he ended up starting to want to, to diet and exercise. So in The Eternals, I haven't seen this movie yet, but he plays a superhero whose day job is being a Bollywood actor. And Kumail knew that he couldn't just look like himself and be a Bollywood actor because it wouldn't be convincing because every young male or older male Bollywood actor is super kind of ripped. You just need to just Google Bollywood actor shirtless. Just take a look. And their bodies are better than any of the people who've been in a Marvel movie. It doesn't matter. Anyway, and it's crazy. And they can't all do that. Finding interviews on the record for saying that Bollywood people abuse steroids is very hard to do. There's nothing really out there or HGH. So the only person who's admitted to not using steroids is Akshay Kumar, who's 40 – oh, he's probably over 50 now, actually. I think he would be, yeah. He's like, I work out all the time. I've been working out since I was a teenager. I don't have more than a six-pack, but everybody you see has eight, ten-pack abs. And he's like, I don't take HGH enhancers, steroids, powders, or shakes. I don't do anything like that. I just – have had this dedication to working out for years. A bit of a knives out situation on his fellow Bollywood actors, I guess, right? He calls them all out and he has for years. And I think he finds it frustrating because he was one of the original people who was in good shape. And yet everybody else just kind of takes these shortcuts. Weren't you in a movie with him? I worked with him in 2012. I can confirm that he's in very good shape and he's a good dude. I really liked him. Very nice. Anyway, so that's probably the only evidence is really him calling out everybody else and saying, you guys are all phonies and frauds, and I'm the real deal. So you're saying that my all-samosa diet plan is not going to help me get into better shape.
So let us know what you thought about this episode. Again, we'll just say it one more time for everybody. We're not saying Kumail Nanjiani ever took HGH or steroids. Just so we're clear about that. Because I'm not his doctor. And I'm actually not your doctor either. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only. And they're not medical advice. So please consult medical professionals for actual medical advice as in your medical professionals. Before we get out of here, just remember, follow us on social media, Dr. V Comedian. We're on Twitter, Facebook. We're everywhere. Send us an email, drvcomedian at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought about this episode and give us some ideas for future episodes, things you'd like to hear about. Anything else to mention there, Ali? No, just living it up. I'll be going back to St. John's with an S in Newfoundland to film another episode of a show called Hudson and Rex. Oh, yeah. We've talked about that before. We've mm-hmm. talked about it. It's, it's big in Canada, but it's huge in France for reasons not everybody can understand. But I'm very happy to go back there. I'll be sure to report back about some of the delightful meals I have in some of Canada's top 10 restaurants. You should be able to find Ali's episode. It's now out, been released in Canada. You should be able to find it internationally as well. Ali and his friend, who's the chief of police, is that it? Joe is the chief of police, correct? They discover when they're just treasure hunting on the beach, at the beach, you know, as people are wont to do, eh, they find uh, something scary. It's a dead body. Ah, you ruined it. Now people will be so... That happens in the first 30 <laughs> seconds. <of laughs> the show. I know. I'm totally joking. Okay, well, that's it for today. We'll see you guys next time. See ya. Are you itching for a good story? Laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two? Well, you're in luck. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three-hour-long story, like a movie for your ears, so you can listen to these adventures in any order you like. So join us on a real play D&D quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. Fire Breathing Kittens podcast, fantasy action, mystery, friendship.